0: Don't quit. I mean, there's a there's a high cost to quitting and a very low cost to keeping going. Um, It it doesn't really seem that way so much, but um, when it comes to keeping going, even when you feel like you're doing horribly in any craft or skill, you're still making progress.
1: Welcome to episode 26 of the Online Course Guy podcast. I am Jacques Hopkins, the Online Course Guy, and this is the show where we show you how to turn your hobby or passion into a profitable online course. I was able to do just that with the piano, and now, after being an engineer for eight years, I'm proud to say that I can support my family just from the income of my online piano course. Today, it snowed, in South Louisiana. Wow, it doesn't do that very often. Maybe once every 10 years or so. And my wife woke me up this morning and was like, "Hey, it's snowing." And you know, we have two young kids and so we both got up, we got the kids up, and we spent all morning playing in the snow. My uh, two and a half year old was a little timid about it but we ended up building a small little snowman and look we don't know what we're doing in the snow like i said it snows maybe once every 10 years down here i spent the first 18 years of my life in new orleans and i've spent the last uh 13 years of my life in baton rouge which is about an hour from new orleans so i've spent all of my time in the south where it never snows and when it snows down here things just shut down and we had a great time this morning now Today's episode, I talked to Melissa Esplin of calligraphy.org. How she got that domain name is very interesting. That's one of the things we talked about in the podcast episode, the interview, uh, because I don't own piano.org. I don't own piano.com. And she kind of walked me through that process because she didn't originally have calligraphy.org as the kind of home base for her online calligraphy course, but she does now. And that's super, super cool. And she has been really, really successful. She has sold over 8,000 copies of her calligraphy course. And it's not like this is like a $2 course or anything. I'm pretty sure she sells it for over $100. So you can do the math there. And we talked about one, one interesting thing we talked about was why and how she gets up every day at 4 AM on purpose. Like that's part of her routine that's part of the way that she has been successful is getting up that early before the kids get up and doing a lot of really good work really early in the morning and she talked about balancing that family life because she's got three kids one of her kids is special needs and he actually made an appearance on the podcast on the interview and so we did cut out a little bit of that but i left some of that too because you know we're real here on this podcast And by the way, if you haven't checked it out yet, we do post these episodes on YouTube as well. So the video is recorded. If you wanna go watch the video version of this and you're just listening, you can do that at youtube.com slash the online course guy. Let's get on to the interview with Melissa of calligraphy.org. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So can can you take me back
2: to the moment, if you remember, when you decided you were going to make an online calligraphy course?
0: Um, It was back in 2011. I've passed the decade mark, which is pretty exciting. And um, I had been blogging about random crafting art, creativity, things, and um, back in 2009, I picked up the pointed pen. And... I posted about projects that I'd done. It was, and mind you, it was terrible. <laughs> the level of work that I did back then was not very good, but I had enough of a blog following that people were asking me how to do that. And I kept thinking to myself, this is bigger than a blog post. This is, this is more than that. And my husband had been fired from his job and I had been writing up some content for possibly an ebook or something. And he gets home from getting fired and said, what do we do? I said, let's get to work. I want to build something. And we did a little back and forth. He's a web developer. So he's like, well, how about we build you an online class? Let's let's do that. Let's get you a platform. And in six weeks, we had it done.
2: Oh my gosh, six (laughs) weeks?
0: It was, I mean, I had written and photographed a lot of the content before then, but as far as building the online platform, because back in 2012, we didn't have, well, it was 2011 when we started the project. Um, There was no Skillshare. Skillshare didn't really crop up, at least not on my radar, until it was like 2013, 2014. So that there was just not very many resources for platforms. And so having a husband who's a web developer really came in handy. I so,
2: so did he, 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 he lost his job. So did this become his new full-time job?
0: No, it was pretty much, um, he had a, about a six week, uh, break between jobs. And between that, he did the bulk of the development work in those six weeks. And he, then he started a job Uh, as a web developer for this company called AppTask. Now it's Workfront. Um, But then it wasn't really until 2014 that the online class started to replace or approach his income. So that was when we sort of decided decided to make the switch and work on it a little more full-time.
2: Okay, so back in 2011, you were already blogging, I'm guessing at... Melissa esplin.com, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And and how much of a following did you have there before you released your online course?
0: You know what? It wasn't huge. I think I mean, okay, little bit of context. Instagram has killed blogs. (laughs) (laughs) It it's it was a different scene back in twenty eleven. You didn't you weren't spending time on Instagram. You were you had like a feedly or Google feeds or some some sort of thing to keep track of all of your blogs that you followed and you'd check in on those every day. And so I was getting between 60 and 120,000 page views per month, which at that time was not very big. Now it's considered more substantial, but
2: I would take those numbers uh, even today. That sounds pretty awesome. And I remember I remember using something called Google Reader to catch up on my, the blogs that I followed, but that's long gone.
0: Yes, yes, long gone. So things have, have taken a different turn, but I really had about 6,000 subscribers. And when I had started working on the content, I threw up a, an email list submission form just really kind of hack haphazard put it on there on my blog and it's actually still on there. And, um, by the time we actually launched the class, we had like 1300 subscribers to that list.
2: Within a six, six week time, time frame.
0: I think I had that list up there for about six months,
2: six months. Okay.
0: Yeah. And just anticipation of putting at least something online. Yeah.
2: So what was the launch strategy? Was it, was it, okay, I'm going to send an email to this list. Is it, okay, I've already got 60,000 page views a month. I'm just going to advertise it on my existing site.
0: Um, I don't think it was that sophisticated because <laughs> I mean, I, I've never really done marketing or any, any sort of formal training in those strategies, but that was pretty much what I did though. I, I thought, okay, well, I've got all these subscribers. We originally thought it was going to be a flash in the pan. Everybody was going to buy it, and then we'd be done, and we wouldn't have any more customers. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually became the exact opposite. So we, I put out an email blast, and I wrote, posted a blog post saying, hey, it's live, and then crickets for like a week. And then we got one purchase. And then crickets for another few days and then we got another purchase it was very very slow but that i mean that was in 2012 things are a little bit different as far as email marketing instagram marketing all marketing in general just as a whole is very different so yeah
2: well, I mean, take me to that because, you know, you hear these um, success stories on podcasts like this and people talk about how successful their first launch was and it really just catapulted them. And, you know, my story is similar to yours where when I launched, like I got a sale and then a few days later, maybe another sale. It wasn't like this this magic moment where all of a sudden I had a million dollars in my bank account. So when that happened, I mean, did you consider giving up on that course?
0: No, it. I mean... The one thing that I've realized about calligraphy is so, well, two things that I've realized. First, I am a hobby hoarder. I just love collecting new hobbies. In the last year, it's been mountain biking and road biking, but it's cooking, it's sewing, it's all these things, but I have realized calligraphy is a constant. And that's something that I will always be interested in. And, um, sort of a roundabout way to answer your question, I realized that by putting out a course, I was learning so much. It, it was that motivation that I needed to get my act together and really understand what I was talking about to these people who are paying good money. It wasn't a cheap course. It is not a cheap course to day because I do personal coaching. I have a very hands-on approach with my students. So I wanted to make it premium. And if it's gonna be premium, I better know what I'm doing. So um, there was a lot of passion behind putting this course out. So I didn't think it was about, about to die. I was just like, well, I'm at least paying for dates. you know, <laughs> or, or like, a new pair of shoes every month. So like it, it started to like justify itself slowly over time where it was like, well, Hey, at least it's buying this or it's buying that. And I think because so many things were happening at that point in my life, I couldn't really focus on this. Wasn't an overnight success. I have at that point I had two kids one of whom I was just discovering was special needs, is special needs. And my world kind of exploded on me a little bit where I had no idea what I was doing with motherhood. And so I didn't have time to really feel sorry about getting one or two sales per week. I had to at least look at something that was going right because I felt so guilty about having a son who was special needs
2: that's a, uh, that's a really great way to look at it. I mean, it's the whole glass half full glass, half empty type thing. I mean, cause you did make a sale or two here yeah. and there. It's not like it was a complete and total flop and you know, we'll get into where, where you are today, but from what I understand, you've made a few more sales since then. A couple. yeah. It, it has turned into some level of, of success. Now, am I hearing you correctly that you, one of your motivations for wanting to create this course was just to get better at it yourself?
0: Yeah, and I don't know if that was a conscious or subconscious motivation, but it is definitely, a, there was this moment where one of my students posted her practice and I thought to myself, dang, this girl is better than me. And, you know, it wasn't this point where I felt attacked or infringed upon, but, but it was this almost challenge to to find a way to teach her something, figure out how to make this class worth it for her. And so that was when I really tried to hit the books and hit practicing. I mean, really calligraphy is 90% practicing, but um, that was when it really struck home that I needed to get better and it was a good motivator. I'm not motivated by anything besides deadlines. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, what I'm, what I'm getting at is, do you think that that is, uh, that is a good approach and good advice for somebody who is new to this stuff and they don't necessarily have something they feel like they're great at teaching and could take and make an online course about today, but use the approach of, okay, as part of learning more about this topic, I'm going to make an online course. And one of my good friends, Nate Dotson, who has been on this podcast several times, took that approach similar to what you're saying is he he has a course on growing and selling microgreens and he wasn't like an expert at it when he got the idea for his course, but he's like, man, I'm going to get a lot better at it if I teach and, and create an online course about it. And by the time he had finished his online course, he kind of was the expert on it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think there's, there's a little bit of both, right? It's great to learn from the masters. And I think, I think those masters need to have a platform in order to teach, but there is something very fantastic about learning from somebody who's also learning themselves. It becomes accessible and approachable. And I think that's one thing I feel like I've done pretty well at with calligraphy is to take something that seems so out of reach and make it accessible for people. Because I don't, I don't want anybody to feel intimidated by me because I want them to learn calligraphy. Calligraphy's in my blood. I inherited a sign painting book from my great, great grandfather. And so I want to keep, this is almost like keeping my history alive to get more people passionate about calligraphy. And so it's not about, It's not about being the best. It's about figuring out how I can contribute in my own way. And so I think for somebody who feels like they're not perfect, that should not be a deterrent for getting into online instruction. But I do think sometimes I see an online instruction and in-person instruction in various forms that one class does it and that's the fallacy that I, that bothers me the most is that it's not just one class. I don't expect any of my students to take one of my classes and feel like that's the only class that they should ever take. I want them to use it as a springboard. I want them to continue and take as many classes from as many people as they can possibly can and get hungry about learning instead of just one and done.
2: So you, what you're saying is you actually encourage people when they're finished with your course to go out and find somebody else too that's teaching it. And that just gives different perspectives and different ways of learning.
0: Yeah, and it really helps people hone their own style. And I feel like getting involved in the calligraphy community, it's contagious. It, it allows these people who are hungry for more education to contribute and to feel like they're part of something, this belonging, really, I think it's a, it's a very important thing that we need to feel. I mean, why else do we have Instagram and all of these things? We need belonging. So creating communities behind passions is really important. So that continuing education sort of segues into a little bit of that.
2: Can we, uh, can we talk about your domain name next? Because most of the courses I see are, you know, in your case, it'd be like, Uh, calligraphy for beginners or calligraphy with Melissa or whatever you have calligraphy.org. I mean, what's the (laughs) point behind that?
0: So when we first launched, um, it was, I still love calligraphy.com. And the reason by the behind the name is my motto on my blog is I still love you. It's sort of like my motto of what I say to my hobbies, even though I have like kids to distract me like, I'm always going to still love the arts and creative outlets. So that's kind of why we named it Calligraphy. And from the get-go, my husband hated it. He's like, this is so dumb. <laughs> so, um, and one of one of our mentors, he he owns chess.com. And so he's like a big advocator of the single word URL. And so Chris is sort of my husband, Chris. He's been like so focused on like finding one word or a simple word that we could use as a url and oh (laughs) felix you gotta say hi
2: hi
0: my son's sick so he's um at home for the day okay dude can you go in the other room real quick yeah i'll be back i'll be out in a minute
2: i'm hungry
0: okay go get a snack i get me okay i I okay. Can I, you close I, the door? Yeah, thanks, dude.
2: My, my <laughs> kids, my kids are in the next room, and, and this, so this would not be the first time that ah. kids have come into the picture.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, feel I love you, Mom. I love you, Felix. So, um, yeah, we, we, my husband saw that calligraphy, so calligraphy.com has been for sale, but we've never been able to. They, nobody's ever gotten back to us
2: mm-hmm. and
0: but the what? folks at calligraphy.org got back to us mm-hmm. and so they gave us a number we gave them a number and they agreed to it okay bye-bye dude go get your bread okay can you close the door okay all right sorry <laughs>
2: No, no problem. So, so what about the whole .org thing? Is that not for just nonprofits anymore?
0: I don't think it is. Um, my husband looked into it. I just kind of let him do the thing. But as I've talked to other people, they're like, yeah, it seems like you're more about education than, and less about sales. Mm-hmm. It's, it sort of changes the shift in focus rather than being calligraphy.com. And so I, I'm okay with it. I I mean, calligraphy.com would be pretty darn cool, but we will settle for calligraphy.org.
2: So let me, let me just ask for some personal advice at this point. I've never once even explored the idea of getting like piano.com or piano.org. Like it's it's never (laughs) crossed my mind. My domain is pianoin 21 days.com. That's my brand. I mean, would you recommend I even look into trying to get one of those domains?
0: It never hurts. I mean, the worst that can happen, you email whoever has the domain name part. They come back with you at an obscene number, like $200,000. You say, well, I can pay you 1500 bucks for it. And they say no. Mm-hmm. And there you go. You know, it's like, that. It's, it's not, there's nothing to be lost by inquiring. But yeah, some of those, I feel like calligraphy is enough of a, an obscure niche that it was a little bit easier for us to get that one word URL than it was, you know, for chess.com or, you know, some of these other ones. But I mean, getting a simplified URL and having that lease forward to mm-hmm. piano in 21 days, it never hurts those Google search results
2: let's uh let's talk about work life balance family life since uh <laughs> since we just uh were introduced to your son there i you work from home right is that
0: correct okay. yeah
2: I, I do too My kids are just over two and four months old, and one thing I do struggle with you know staying home working from home is just distraction and noise is in the other room and my wife stays home with the kids as well um How, how do you deal with that what advice do you have
0: oh man it's hard like it just <laughs> even, even when you get into a good flow, it's still, there's a struggle. Mm -hmm. And, um, especially when you're both at home, there's sort of this, there's a higher need to be teammates and to communicate, okay, I've got this, you need this, you know, there's, so when my husband quit his job, that first three months felt like a three month, three months of Saturdays, no structure, just kind of every man for themselves. I thought I was working, he thought he was working, and then we'd find our kid with a blowout and then poop all over the house. <laughs> we're like, shoot, I thought you were taking care of him. You know, and, and so there was a learning curve for sure in order for us to cohabitate in a workspace. Um, but I think creating delineations have helped. So I have, I mean, when my son's not sick, Mondays are my day where I have no distractions. And so it doesn't matter what Chris does, but all the kids are out of the house. So I can do whatever I need to do. So those are my big work days. And then I wake up at four in the morning. So I don't have to pay for childcare (laughs) when I wake up at four in the morning and the world is quiet so I can get so much stuff done. So that, that's the other thing is I can wake up and then I have at least checked one thing off of my daily to-do list by the time the kids wake up. So I feel like I've accomplished something and I feel more excited to greet my children at the beginning of the day. Like it's not like I'm running late when I first start the day.
2: So you that's- wake up, You wake up at 4 a.m. Every day on purpose. Yes. That is, yes. Uh, that, that, that may be the most impressive thing you've said so far. So you work, <laughs> so you work, do you start working up for or Do you have some sort of morning routine or what?
0: Yeah. It's a really embarrassing morning routine. Um, so my, ha- so I, a um, couple years ago, I went to this entrepreneurs' conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and one of the women who was talking about work life balance, she talked about how she couldn't afford nannies or au pairs. I'm like, yes, preach, I can't either. So tell me what to do. And she said, she goes to bed at eight, she wakes up at four, and she defends her sleep. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I need. Like, because I was going to bed at midnight and waking up, you know, at four. And I couldn't get any sleep or I'd go to bed at four and wake up at eight when the kids are jumping on the bed, you know, and it just, I just felt like I was never getting any sort of rest or me time. So I start, I wake up, I usually just scroll through Instagram and Facebook, check in with whomever I feel like checking in with. And then I play two dots. It's this really dumb game on the iPhone that I'm totally addicted on. Anyway, I play like a game or two of that and just like resets my mind. And um, then I just roll out of bed and I get to work in my pajamas. And then when the kids wake up, that's when I get dressed and ready for the day.
2: That is absolutely incredible. So you get, you get three or four hours of work done before the kids are even up. And then if you don't get anything else done that day, it's still a win?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've convinced my husband to do the same thing too. So we go to bed at between 8.30 and 9.30 at night, wake up at four. He goes from like 4.30 to noon and he's already had a full eight hours of work and then he can do whatever he wants. So it's pretty fantastic. Usually there's a nap in there.
2: (laughs) The wheels are just kind of turning in my head right now. how I could rearrange my schedule because, you know, it sounds like we're struggling. We struggle with the same thing with having kids yeah. around and, and managing their schedules and our schedules and being an entrepreneur and everything like that. So today, you are, are completely an entrepreneur. You work on this and, and your husband now does this as well?
0: Yes. Well, he actually, he just started a job at Pluralsight, this um, basically an online learning platform for tech. So web development... IT stuff. That's really all I know about it. But, um, so this is segueing into what he wants to do. He wants to teach online classes about his expertise, which is developing in Firebase. And so, um, our son just started first grade. He's been a very, um, difficult yet wonderful child. He wasn't walking until he was three. And so I was carrying around a 36-pound three-year-old to the grocery store and on all of my errands. And I had to start deadlifting in order to just be able to care for my son. Wow. And so that was about the time when he, my husband quit his job. And we've had four years of him at home to help care physically for my son and that's been amazing. And so now that he's in first grade and in school all day, he can, Chris can kind of do his own thing and sort of work on on his career. So mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty exciting.
2: So his contribution to your business has been more of childcare than keeping, you know, daily tasks involved in the business.
0: Oh man, he does everything. <laughs> he does. He does so much customer service. He's rewritten the website a few times, but I mean, he's over the last four years, he's automated a lot of stuff. The only thing he really hasn't automated is that personal instruction, the personal feedback. And that's, that's what I take care of with, I have a co calligrapher with 30 years of experience. She's amazing. She helps me make sure that I'm not totally overwhelmed with feedback. Cause when I was pregnant with my youngest, I was spending 14 hours at a desk on Tuesdays and Fridays just reviewing work because I was so swamped and it was, it was just more than I could handle. So I hired her and she's fantastic. Best hire I've ever done.
2: That's awesome. So one more question about the family before we move on. um, Because without question, every person that I've interviewed on this podcast has had a spouse that was that contributed in a very large way to the success of the, the person's online course. So where, where do you think you would be today without that support from your husband?
0: I wouldn't even have a class. I mean, like, I would not be where I am. So my husband, he's the one says, okay, you've got to do the hard things first. He's the one who helps me reorganize my brain so that I can do the important things. I'm total procrastinator. I love doing everything else except for the important thing. So he really... We joke around that I'm his boss, but he's my manager. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps me on ta- on target with the goals that we want. He keeps, you know, but not in a taskmaster kind of way, but in a, let's make sure that your creative vision is in line with what you're doing right now. And so, and he also, I struggle with anxiety and depression and there are days where I have anxiety attacks and I think, I don't know what I'm doing. This is the worst. I suck at all of this. I can't do blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of fall apart. And he's there to pick up the pieces and say, look, Mel, you need to just cool your jets. You're doing great. And you know, he's, he's like my shoulder angel telling me all the things that I need to do and encouraging me to keep going. And so I couldn't do any of this without him
2: let's uh let's talk about where your course is today. I noticed on your website over five thousand alumni of your main course.
0: Yeah, I think that number is I think the last time we put that number up was like a year and a half ago, so it's it's a little different. I think if we're pushing seven or eight
2: i I just crossed I just crossed over fifteen hundred on my course, and I'm like so proud of that Woo! but yeah, thank you. But, <laughs> I mean, you've, you've like five X that. So, I mean, you're, you're selling multiple copies a day. Is that fair to say? Yeah. What does, what does your marketing look like? Like, how are you getting new people to find your course?
0: Um, email, that helps.
2: How big's your list?
0: The, the list is now at 13,000.
2: Okay. So that
0: helps. Mm-hmm. Um, Google search results. Instagram. Okay. And, um, I've, so because I started in blogging, I have a lot of friends that are in that influencer blogger realm. So I've been able to easily reach out to them and I've been able to get great reviews and feedback and shout outs from friends of mine who have taken the course and are excited about it on Instagram and on their blogs.
2: So you mentioned Google search, you know, that's just people actually searching like, online calligraphy course right but you also mentioned instagram Uh, how are you getting new people via instagram
0: um a lot of it is just so we have a kit that we sell with our class and the kit has a cute pouch that has our logo on it and it's very photographable so people are Uh taking photographs of their supplies when they first start Uh or of their practice Uh and this more for. Girl? Yeah, it's my favorite. Okay, go, 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 please. Hold it. Okay, go, 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 get your shirt on. Thank you, Felix. Um, so we try to do our best to balance out having a really good, high-quality kit with something that's also photographable. So that's, I feel like that's sort of an, um, a free strategy because we're creating um, great content for people to be able to photograph and post on their own feeds to help publicize for the course, and I feel like that really helps us a lot. okay people want to know somebody who has taken the class so you can-
2: mentioned are uh, just kind of moving on you, you mentioned yeah. that you're you're a hobby junkie you know and and one thing I like to focus on in this podcast. And, and with the like coaching and consulting that I do is people that have hobbies and want to take that and turn that into an online course. Like you have, like I have, like a lot of people have. Um, so for somebody that's just like just starting out, just getting some ideas going, like what advice do you have for somebody like that?
0: Um, don't quit. I mean, there's a, there's a high cost to quitting and a very low cost to keeping going. Um, it, It doesn't really seem that way so much, but um, when it comes to keeping going, even when you feel like you're doing horribly in any craft or skill, you're still making progress. And I feel like the same is for piano and calligraphy, that um, finding, finding what it is that excites you about that hobby, And finding a way to bring your practice around that interest really helps keep you going. Um, I don't know. Does that answer the question? I forgot the question.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Just what advice do you have for people trying to do this? And um, I think, you know, people, people get a lot of ideas, but Mm -hmm. the success and everything is not about the idea. It's about the execution. And so, um, you know, I think the last one of the last interviews, I, I, uh, somebody I talked to their advice was get started and I think that's good advice. And then what you're saying too, is like, keep going, like, don't, don't, don't quit easily. Um, there's going to be a lot of obstacles, barriers. There's going to be a lot of reasons not to keep going, but yeah. try to power through.
0: And, you know, one of the things that has helped me create the content that I've made for my classes is breaking things down to their individual parts, breaking into small chunks and creating a to-do list based on small chunks. Not this create an online course, like that's <laughs> not to do. It is what equipment do I need? What are the basics? How do I start big and get small? You know, like how do I get those broad strokes in there easily and how do I add that detail over time to create something that's fully flushed out? And that's that is the key is to distill what those smaller components are.
2: If you just if you put on your to-do list create online course, like that's seriously, <laughs> that's that's never gonna happen. No. <laughs> I'm I no. mean you you mentioned that your the first your first go at it, it took six six weeks. And like that's by far the least amount of time I've ever heard anybody. I mean, for me it took like eight months.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: well, I mean, I think all when all was said and done it was six months to create all of the content, including like the web development and everything. But, and that's about how long it's taken me when I'm dedicating every 4 AM to working on that project for at least two to four hours. And so if you're only working on it for one hour a day, it's going to take you a year, you know, so finding a way to prioritize it and create larger chunks of time where you can work on whatever project it is, is very valuable.
2: Melissa, thank you so much for, for joining me. I, um, I am going to definitely go back and listen to this and and probably apply some of your uh, advice myself. Um, why don't we close this way? Just, just uh, if you have anything else that you want to share with my audience and, and let us know where we can find you online um, if there's anything other than calligraphy.org.
0: Um, yeah, so I, I really hope that you try out the 4am. I'm curious, I want you to let me know if you try it out, and if you like it. Um, you can find me at calligraphy.org. You can also, I do a lot of printables and tutorials on melissesplin.com, And I'm on Instagram, probably more than anything at Melissafer. like Melissa and calligrapher mashed together. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me.
1: All right, that's going to do it for another episode of the Online Course Guide podcast. For all the links related to this website and more information about Melissa, you can go to the OnlineCourseGuy.com slash 26. And there you're also going to be able to get my quick start guide. If you're looking to start this process of making your own online course like I did, like Melissa did. Preferably based on your hobby or passion, not necessarily something that's going to make somebody else money, but just like a hobby, like calligraphy or piano or whatever hobby or passion you have. I've got a free quick start guide waiting for you, the eight steps to turning your hobby or passion into a profitable online course. Just head over to the online slash 26, and we'll see you around for the next episode.